But the problem with putting your ideas of heroism into the figure of, of one man is that there's no way he can live up to it. Nobody can live up to that. Hello and welcome to the Aspects of History podcast. My name's Oliver Webb Carter and I'm the editor. And that was Keith Lowe you heard there talking about monuments. And Keith's written a book recently called Prisoners of History, uh, where he has looked at monuments to people and groups of people and individuals from World War II. And he's looked at how a lot of these are controversial or problematic. And he's a very interesting historian because he he's a World War II historian, but he approaches World War II at a slightly different angle and, and really looking at how the war affects us all, affects to this day. So that's Keith. Next week we go into a little bit more detail uh, with some of his other books that he's written, uh, particularly um, he's written very interestingly on the bombing of Hamburg and we also talk about Europe in the in the wake of World War II and the immediate aftermath of World War II and how it was just total chaos. And then we also talk a little bit about um, a the, the impact of the war uh, that the war had globally. And we even sneak in a little challenge that Keith took place, uh, uh, that Keith did, where he uh, tried to go on every single tube station in the tube over a 24-hour period. So that's next week. Uh, elsewhere at Aspects of History, we've I've mentioned this last week, and I'm going to mention it again. We've got the unpublished historical novel competition. Details are on the homepage on our website, so have a look at that. It's aspectsofhistory.com. If you have not written a novel and want to, write it, and then you can submit it. The prize is £500, and the novel will be published by an independent publisher, one of the leading independent publishers in the country. So, I, I heartily recommend it. If you know anyone who's written a novel, recommend them to do it as well. So, get them to apply. It's, it's a no-brainer, 500 quid to, uh, to the winner. Uh, also, to commemorate uh, the Queen and her 70-year reign, which the anniversary was in uh, 6th of February, uh, we've got a nice article on the homepage again um, from Matthew Dennison, uh, all about the Queen. Now, I learnt a, uh, a little fact about the Queen this week, which I thought was quite, quite nice. The Queen's favourite cereal is Special K. Did you know that? Uh, elsewhere, our magazine is available um, for sub annual subscription for only nine ninety nine, so Valentine's Day is coming up, and if you really want to say uh, to show your love, uh, I would recommend an annual subscription from Aspects of History at only nine ninety nine for a year. That's insanely cheap, and your loved one will love you even more. Uh, n coming up next week, where the new magazine is out on Tuesday, the fifteenth. Of Feb, we've got an exclusive interview with Bernard Cornwall, the great historical novel writer, author of Sharp series of novels, and also the Uhtred Last Kingdom novels. So have a look at that um, magazine, which is out on Tuesday. If you want to get hold of me, it's at Twitter. Uh, uh, I'm at Ollie WCQ. That's O L L I E W C Q. Do get in touch. I'd be happy to talk about. Uh, uh, anything that you've heard so far. And 
without further ado, I will hand you over to me talking to Keith. Keith Lowe, welcome to the Aspects of History podcast. Um, right, so I have uh, you on to talk about a few of your books that you've written, and they're all very, they're all really very interesting um, because you seem to, you're a World War II historian, um, but you seem to approach World War II at a slightly different angle to other historians. Um, which I find very interesting because it's more about, there's a running theme throughout all the books that you've written that seem to be m mainly about the impact of war it has on um, the people of, of uh, Europe and, and wider. Um, now, your most recent book, I thought we'd start off talking about, um, which is Prisoners of History. And this is a book um, about, is it, I think it's 25 statues that have been erected to commemorate World War II. Yes. So, yes. so Keith, uh, uh, first of all, I wanted to ask, um, and th this was published at the height of the, um, well, I've, I've ended up calling them the statue wars. Is that, is that probably the name of the, you know, the whole. He, yeah. All the controversy that happened in uh, the summer of 2020 when uh all those statues are being torn down in various places around the world, including here in, in London. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, um, I mean, that I guess in a way was a happy coincidence because it meant that, you know, <laughs> your, 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 uh, your area, your book was, was well, very closely related, but I wondered how it did fit in because they are um, limited to world war two monuments. So, exactly. you know, we're not going down the road of, of, BLM or anything, but but how do you think your your approach to the, the World War II monuments fits into the wider um, statue debate? Right. Yeah. I mean, you're you're right. It was a sort of happy coincidence in in that uh, you know the book came out literally a month after all all this controversy was all going on. Um, but also, yeah, <laughs> it is a you know the the book is about World War II, as you say, not not about. Um, racism or colonialism or anything like that on the other hand a lot of the 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 themes are actually the same i mean it's, it's this is not statues and monuments are not really so much about actual history it's about how we remember that history uh they usually um i mean they are there to commemorate a sort of history but they're also there to put down our our a sort of statement of our values of our, um, you know, what's important to us as a society, whether that be bravery or nationalism or you know, some some other kind of sort of virtue or, or, or a commemoration of some kind of victimhood or something. Um, those sorts of things play into all the, the same ideas that were coming out in the Black Lives Matter movement and the anti-colonialist stuff and, and so on. What are our values? Do we need these statues to stay up, or should we tear them down if, if, our, if our values have changed? Um, the idea of victimhood, especially, is, uh, is, is something really powerful. You know, there there are very real victims of history, um, and should we be commemorating things to the people who perpetrated acts upon those victims, or, or um, 
you know, whose point of view are we looking at history from? All, all those sort of questions all come into um, how we remember the Second World War, just as how we remember any other subject. It's interesting you say that because when these a lot of these statues are erected, and that's something that I was just thinking of when when you were when you were um, just going through that because. A lot of these statues, when they're erected, they're, they're often they're erected through. I mean, they, we don't have a sort of national plebiscite um, in this country to decide what goes up. There are some statues, I assume, that are erected as a result of rather small committees being mentioned and, and money raised. And then you've got in other countries more state intervention. I guess you know the obvious ones being the Soviet um, commemorations. So. When, when we talk about these statues of, of, of saying what they say about us, is it really more that what we're saying, what a small group of people is saying about themselves uh, or the Soviet um, government in, at the time? A absolutely. Um, I mean, I think in order to get a sort of proper snapshot of what a, a society really thinks about its history, you, you know, taking one statue or one monument is, is possibly... Is not not the best way to go I mean, you, like you say you do get a very narrow view then um i think a, a good example of where it's been done well is somewhere like uh amsterdam which i cover in the book where you know there is there is a national monument to the second world war which was very problematic at the time because it had sort of it commemorated the victims around the netherlands in each of the different uh, regions of the Netherlands, uh, and it, it's a very sort of it's a very sort of Christian image on this. It's got the the nation as a sort of figure crucified on this uh, on this pillar, um, all of which is a, a little bit problematic if you're Jewish. And of course, most of the victims uh, of Nazi brutality in the Netherlands during the Second World War were Jewish. So. They're not even commemorated on this supposedly national monument. But if you then look around the rest of um, Amsterdam, there are all kinds of other sort of that they realised their mistakes sort of late <laughs> in the 60s or so, 60s, 70s, 80s and onwards. Um, and so they started erecting all kinds of monuments to the Jews who were killed in the city or, or taken out and, and murdered elsewhere. And, and so now if you put together all of those and there's also a there's a. a monument to homosexuals who are also um, uh, persecuted, gypsies as well. You, you take all these different monuments, you form a sort of mosaic of history. And, and that gives them a sort of more uh, rounded view of, of memory of what happened. Yeah, that's, that's a good example. Yeah, there are lots of bad examples as well. So, uh, well, what, one, one um, memorial that I was um, looking into from your book was was the uh the memorial to the victims of the jewish victims of the holocaust um that is in berlin that i think the the, the germans put up and it's it's a bit of a strange memorial isn't it it's, it's quite controversial it's probably fair to say it, um in that it seems to be it i mean i don't want to um put words into your mouth but but having looked into it myself it, it seemed like the germans had this obviously this collective guilt over um uh, the holocaust and so built this memorial with the best of intentions but it it's it has caused a few problems hasn't it yes i mean like 
every memorial and certainly every memorial in the book um uh it, it is controversial um i mean it's vast is the first thing to say it's, it takes up a huge amount of space right in the very center of the city i mean this is prime real estate anywhere else you'd imagine it'd be you'd have a massive hotel built on it or, or something uh but but there they've, they've taken up a, a whole block um what could have been a whole block is, is covered in these sort of um these uh sort of they're almost like tombstones i suppose i mean that's that's the image that immediately comes to mind um rows and rows and rows of them of different heights which uh when when they get really tall they, they form sort of canyons between them you can walk between them and, and it sort of blocks out the light on either side um and some of them are, are, are very small and you can see over the top of them but altogether it, it gives a sort of almost like a, a feeling of being in a in a cemetery now the sculptor who made it the architect who made this steadfastly says that wasn't his intention it was basically just an abstract sort of idea but it does it does feel like that when you're looking at it uh and it was controversial because, well, I mean, it, it, they didn't properly consult with the, the, the Jewish population of, of Berlin or indeed anywhere. Um, uh, they just sort of decided to do this thing. Um, lots of Jews were quite upset about it and thought it was sort of a way of expiating German guilt rather than actually commemorating them or their, their um, families and so on. Uh, and the other thing about it is that there is nowhere on this monument which says what it is. So you can turn up and you'll have no idea that it, it's a monument to the, the, the murdered Jews of Europe because there's no sign, there's nothing, nothing there to, to explain anything. So they had to fight to, in order to get, the, the German parliament had to sort of argue for a, like an information centre at least, which they built underneath it um, much to the um, annoyance of the architect who wanted it to be very, a very sort of abstract thing. Um, and so you have to go through this sort of obscure little doorway and down underneath and you, there, there in the information underneath is a kind of sort of mini Holocaust museum which tells the story of, of, of what actually happened in Berlin and around Europe. So it's it sort of got lots of layers of, of, of problems which have been sort of partially solved or not really, and nobody's properly content with the result. I guess it's related, though, to, um, I, mean, I mean, a lot of the, uh, the camps that existed are still, um, are still uh, intact. I mean, I, I'd visited Sachsenhausen just outside Berlin and also Auschwitz, and they are almost, I mean, they're not monuments, but they are certainly... Um, I mean, they feel like when you're there that you are almost, uh, it, 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 even though they're actually not monuments, it feels like they are in a way because because you're there to sort of remember or, or to think about uh, what the Holocaust was. And that works, I mean, better than any other way, though, I would imagine, for visitors to understand what the Holocaust was and what it actually, what actually happened. Is, is that, is that, is that in some way um, related to what the Germans have been doing in 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 in, um, yeah, in with their monuments? In that they've they've got, I think Dachau outside uh, Munich is also um, still intact. Yeah, yeah. So it gives I mean, that rounded. Um, 
yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, there, there is a there's a sort of common language of Holocaust memorials and museums and so on around the world, um, which people have kind of become familiar with uh, by, by visiting sort of more than one. Um, they, they do have this sort of common sort of theme. It's very somber and, uh, and so on. Uh, the, the, the architect who created the, the Berlin Memorial wanted to do something different. He didn't want you to sort of just slot into like a pre-ordained um, sort of way of thinking. He wanted you to wander through and, and, and have your own thoughts about uh, what the Holocaust meant and, and so on. So I, I, can, I can understand his point of view, but um, uh, yeah, uh, it, it was problematic. But on the other hand, those those um, those um, sort of monuments, I suppose, uh, to the concentration camps, those sort of memorials, are in themselves a little bit problematic for other reasons. I mean, they're kind of they've almost become tourist attractions. Yeah, in some way. absolutely. You know, you, yeah, you, know, you go to Florence, you go to see the Uffizi, and then you go to Paris and you climb up the Eiffel Tower, and you go to Berlin and you get to see whatever, and then you go to Auschwitz and. It's sort of like it's like on the tour almost, and that's that makes me very uncomfortable. Um, and and you sort of arrive, and there's sort of you know there's a gift shop, and you know, and then, then you might need something to eat. And is it all right to sort of have a picnic somewhere nearby when you know the people who actually died there were starving? It's it's very uncomfortable. Um, which I suppose is, is not a bad thing to feel uncomfortable every now and then, but... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, but maybe for the wrong reason. I know exactly what you maybe. mean. An another thing I was thinking is when, when I, I went to Sachsenhausen soon after the wall came down and the mm -hmm. Soviets um, who were leaving had... that When they had arrived, I think they had, um, they had found the camp and, and they'd almost... They'd left it how it was because they were keen to show what the Germans had done. So in a way that gave it an ad additional kind of political um, approach to it in, in that, you know, they were desperate to show how terrible the Germans were and how, um, you know, how they were liberators, which they were, but, you know, again, that's a sort of a political decision in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, there are decisions around how, how you leave the camp. Do you clean it up? Do you, uh, do you try and preserve it exactly as it is? In which case you you're then sort of having to renovate the you know mm. the, the crumbling stuff to make sure it doesn't crumble too far, or do you just allow it to just crumble into dust? In which case, some of the structures of the buildings and crematoria and so on are, are lost. Uh, you know, there are all sorts of decisions you've got to make about how you're going to preserve or not the uh, the the sort of um, symbols of the past and, and then yeah i guess they're not sort of right or wrong ones as well sometimes so yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean um, for example one of the other places that's not related to the holocaust in the book is orador sur glan in france which is a, a a village where the entire population was massacred by the the germans and um f the french government decided they were going to sort of freeze it in aspic you know um leave it precisely as it was on the day when the massacre occurred but that that means you know you've got you've got a, like a rusting car that that was sort of uh, a, a doctor in the village was shot in there and do you do you, how do you do you stop it from rusting do you and they've done sort of things like a uh, take it away 
spray it all with preservative and put it back uh, and repair bits to how they might have been in 1944 and tried to make it look like it was then. And th that makes you think, well, aren't you sort of Disneyfying it in a, in a sort of way? You're fetishizing this this one moment and, and trying to keep it alive, even though the natural course of time would would uh, would be slowly erasing it. It's it's sort of weird, these decisions that have to be made. Speaking of weird, now there's one the the one the one uh, monument that uh, towers all over um, where where it's where it's based in Volgograd, formerly Stalingrad, which I think uh, you've said is your is your favourite. Or I don't know, <laughs> but it's it's insanely large. It's ridiculous. It is what? ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, uh, there's uh, uh, our listeners should go to the Wikipedia page. I'll put a link of it uh, on into the show notes because I think there's a picture in in the Wikipedia page that show. Oh, they, I mean, obviously they should buy the book and it'll be in there. Um, and the uh, the scale is it's just ridiculous. So yeah, why is that your favourite? And um, and that's built quite recently as well. Uh, well, I mean, it was built in the sixties. Right. So uh, it was sort of a, you know, a generation after after the war. Um, and at the time it was built, it was the biggest statue in the world. I mean, it's way bigger than the, I don't know, the Statue of Liberty, for example. Um, it's uh, uh, just just to let people know, it's, it's that statue, which is it, it's a, a woman standing um, in a sort of a Greek gown, holding up a sword in her hand and and with her other hand beckoning she's like beckoning to the the armies of russia to come and defend her it's called the, the title of the statue is the motherland calls and uh and you're right it's absolutely immense i've got a i've got a photo of um uh some people standing at the foot of it um to, which i took from a distance and uh like there's a there's a fully grown you know six foot tall man standing right next to the bottom of this and he's the same size as her big toe <laughs> that just goes to show how huge it is but i mean that that's the one thing that the soviets always really did well the, the, just the scale of things they, they 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 put you in a sense of awe just by being there i mean you could feel the weight of this thing above you when you stand underneath it and that's that's important you know the feeling you get from something is a, a big sort of important part of the the experience of, of seeing monuments like that and the 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 Soviet memorials that they erected for the for the leaders. Um, the, there's the Grutas Park in in is it in Lithuania, I think, mm -hmm. that is also really interesting. Where where you have Stalin, Lenin dotted around. Why has that been? Um, why is that how it is, and not been sort of completely destroyed? Uh, you know, Soviet uh, Stalin being removed like he has been in Poland and and places like that. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. Um, in in Poland and Ukraine, actually, they've 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 removed all uh, sort of traces of um, Soviet influence. You know, for for their own political reasons, they don't want to have these things celebrated because you know, as far as they're concerned, it was the Soviets who 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 occupied their country mm. every bit as much as the the, the Nazis did. So um, uh, they shouldn't be celebrated. In Lithuania, they took a sort of different point of view, which was to gather up all of these old monuments. And uh, at first, they didn't know what to do with them. They sort of left them in warehouses and 
couple of them on scrap heaps and and so on um just sort of sitting there in the elements but eventually they decided that you know this this is this is for better or worse part of our history and we should do something with it either put it in a museum or i don't know something and so they they put it out to tender uh and the problem was that a few museums and so on bid for these to 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 sort of take these statues on but they all wanted to be paid for it because you know it, it costs money to to renovate these things and to house them and to put them on display and so on but there was this one other guy who said no no i'll do it all for free i'll do i'll do i'll pay for everything and i'll do it but um he wasn't a museum professional or, or anything like that he was a mushroom farmer in the south of the country he's a millionaire and he put them all in in a, some fields next to his his mushroom farm and uh, in order to pay for it, he sort of made it into a bit of a theme park. So there's like, a, they've got a zoo there and they've got a playground for the kids, you know, and there's some little statues of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Uh, uh, so, <laughs> you know, the, the kids are playing on Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and next door there's statues of Stalin and and like disused tanks. And and then <laughs> they put around the outside of this uh uh, these fields they put uh, these sort of barbed wire fences and these like watchtowers with these dummies of soldiers looking down almost like you're in a gulag or something and uh but they're very obviously dummies and they haven't even bothered to try and make them look real they've got no faces or anything and then they blast out all this sort of soviet era music over the loudspeakers so it, it's a completely bizarre experience it's very weird but it's sort of in a funny way works because i mean the, the idea is that he's ridiculing these things he's ridiculing stalin he's ridiculing uh um uh lenin and so on so you you go along and you you they're not scary anymore you kind of laugh at them you like you've got a field with lenin in it and it's got llamas walking around it i mean it's it's just bizarre <laughs> So uh, yeah, it, it kind of works, but it, it did put a lot of people's backs up. In, in as you can imagine, people who who might have suffered under the regime were not entirely happy about this. But for me, I love it. I thought it was great. Yeah, I, we, that's the difficulty with them. Everyone's got so many different interpretations. When I've seen pictures of it, it reminds me of Goldeneye, the film Goldeneye. There's a scene where uh, he, he, uh, he where bond is running around a, a park in leningrad i think it or st petersburg with old statues of stalin everywhere um but yeah it's it's it, it's it's a it's a difficult line to, to walk isn't it um mm. now now one one thing i was i was um reading that you had um written about with churchill and, and statues because churchill is obviously you know he's an iconic figure for for most people in britain and that obviously was controversial during the the um, the summer of 2020 with the Churchill being racist, daubed all over the statue. Um, and I, and I know in a previous interview you'd you'd given you'd mentioned that it was a clash of values. Church the the, the way um, the Churchill statue was dealt with was a clash of values. Uh, do you, I was just interested to explore that a little bit because. Um, I, I I thought part of the reason why people were daubing all over Churchill it was racist because it was so provocative. You know, they, people doing that knew they were going to wind other people up, which I guess is that clash of values. But I was just wanting to talk a bit, a bit, a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, well, uh, um, I mean, I, sh I should say at this point that that I mean, there there are this book I've written is not just like a list of of, of statues. It, they're they're gathered together in in themes. So you, you know, there are the statues to heroism. There are the statues mm -hmm. to victimhood. There are those to the monsters of the war, like like Stalin or or, or Hitler or whatever. Um, Mussolini is another one. Um, so these are sort of themes that that are, are are quite common to the way we remember not only only the Second World War but all kinds of things, and and the statue to Churchill, who, who not, isn't that statue isn't by the way in the book, but uh, the, the same sort of principles apply. He's one of the he's one of the heroes of the war. That's how we remember him as one of the heroes. But the problem with putting your ideas of heroism into the figure of of one man is that there's no way he can live up to it nobody can live up to that i've got a chapter in in the book about a, a similar statue to douglas macarthur one of the most vain um uh, arrogant leaders a very good military commander but horrendously vain and and did all kinds of very controversial things making people like that into a into this symbol of heroism immediately opens the door to people saying, well, hang on a sec. He wasn't a hero. He did this. He did that. He was slightly racist. He used to, with Churchill, he was often drunk. He made stupid decisions as well as good ones. He, he opposed equal pay for women. I mean, he, all kinds of, of, of things. And the, the problem is that we're, we're not really thinking of him, uh, of him as a human being, but the human being, Churchill, is irrelevant. Forget him. He's a symbol. He's supposed to be the symbol of heroism. And but for people on the on the left, people who uh, you know anti-colonial um, protesters and so on, he's not a symbol of heroism. He's a symbol of Victorian values, which should have gone long before the Second World War. So once you get this clash of values, uh, you know it's it's. Uh, it's just different ways of looking at the same thing. If they'd have put, instead of making a statue to Churchill and made it a sort of generic hero without a name, um, then there would be no problem. Who's going to argue against heroism during the Second World War? Of course, nobody. Well, it's that's what the... you think. I bet you someone yeah. would find. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, the... yeah. I mean, look at the cenotaph, for example. Yeah. I mean, there have been one or two very misguided, like people actually during the Black Lives Matter process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody did uh, graffiti it, but they were immediately slammed by people of all sides. It was just a one-off act of idiocy. Mm. Nobody agreed with it, um, and that's because that is a, a a monument to all of us. It's a very uniting thing, and and it's to her heroes and victims of both the First and the Second World Wars. Uh, and you can't really argue with that. If it was, if it that's the whole point of the cenotaph is that it hasn't got anybody recognisable in it. They're nameless. They're unknown soldiers, and so that's what makes it um, immune to all of the, the 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 problems that other ones have have suffered. Interesting stuff from Keith there. Next week we talk about the bombing of Hamburg in 1943 by the Allies, where nearly 40,000 civilians were killed. So. That is a difficult subject to talk about, but very important one. If you do like these, please, I would massively appreciate it if you could like and or subscribe or give me a review, uh, preferably a positive review. 
And if you want to get hold of me, ask me any questions, suggest anything, you can get hold of me on the Twitter. That's at OllieWCQ. But other than that, that's me done for this week. And we'll catch up next week. Thank you and good night.